Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you today. Um, before we begin our worship, I want to uh, talk about the elephant in the room. That is masks. Um, we had a session meeting on Thursday evening, and after much conversation and discussion about the rise of the Delta variant and um, just everything that's going on, um, Diane was just saying that Saratoga County just um, issued a public health uh, advisory. Um, and as a session, we decided that we are going to err on the side of caution. So for the foreseeable future, uh, we do ask that everybody um, who enters the church building be wearing a mask. Um, that, and that during worship, we would keep our masks on. Um, those of you on Zoom, uh, you do not need to keep your masks on. Um, unless you are in a crowded place. Um, but this is just, we want to care for each other. As Christians, we are called to love our neighbors, and this is how we can show that love in action. So, um, please do take care when you are out in public. If you have not gotten vaccinated yet and are able, please consider doing that. Uh, and if you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to me so that we can talk. But for now, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from Jesus Christ, our Teacher and Redeemer, and from the Holy Spirit who binds us together in Christian worship. I do want to welcome everyone to worship this morning, whether you are here in person, whether you are visiting, um, or whether you are joining us uh, through the beautiful technology of Zoom. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. We begin our worship by lighting the Christ candle. Whenever we do this, we remember Jesus' promise in the Gospel of Matthew that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I would invite you to use the words in the bulletin as a centering prayer to help guide you into this time and space as we listen to the prelude.
us rise in body or remain upright in spirit as we join together in the call to worship. Come, children of God, come and find refuge and strength. Our souls wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Come, heirs with Christ, come and find forgiveness and joy. Our souls wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Come, people of faith, come to the one who is attentive to our pleas. Our souls wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Let us pray. Source of faithful love, you redeem us from our wrongs. We come before you today eager to be refreshed in body and to be made whole in spirit. Feed us from the living bread that comes down from heaven. For we are drawn from heaven, I'm sorry, for we are drawn to your son as steel is drawn to a magnet. Build up our community of faith through the power of your Holy Spirit that we may live as those who are worthy of our calling. Amen. confess our sins without fear to the one who yearns to embrace us forgive us protect us and bless us let us pray out of the depths we cry to you O god with eyes streaked with tears for we cannot always save the ones we love and are left alone to taste the bitter dregs of our sorrow. In the lonely watches of the night, we yearn to set aside our anger and embrace the paths of healing and wholeness. In the dark night of the soul, we long to forsake our anguish and embrace your mercy and compassion. Open our hearts anew to your kindness and love, your mercy and compassion, that we may know in our bones how much we are your beloved children. Amen. And hear us now as we confess in the silence of our own hearts. Beloved, sorrow may last the night, but joy comes with the morning, even in the midst of fear and loss. Be limiters of God as beloved children, and live as cherished heirs with Christ. Thanks be to God. Faithful in Christ. 
The words we say matter. Words can tear down as easily as they can build up. Let us offer words of love and joy as we exchange signs of Christ's peace with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Peace be with you. And turn around and share the peace with those on Zoom. Look at that camera. Give them a wave. (laughs) At this time, I would like to invite all of the young people in our midst to come forward for the children's sermon. I don't know if this entices you. Good morning. So, I have a question for you. Do you like surprises? I love surprises. I love, love, love surprises so much, and my wife doesn't. She doesn't like surprises. So, when it comes to be her birthday or Christmas, I have a lot of fun because I like to tease her with surprises. Of course, I love surprises when they're good things, right? Like birthday presents or a special person coming to visit. But there are other times when surprises can be a little challenging. Like if a teacher gives you a quiz and you're not ready for it, that's not a good surprise. Or you suddenly run out of toilet paper, that's not a good surprise, right? Well, I have a little surprise here, and I'd like to share it with you. Would you like that? (laughs) It's not toilet paper. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to show it to you just yet, but trust me, it's a good surprise. Okay? You'll like it. I know you will. But before we take a peek, I'm going to put it right here. I need you to do some other things for me. All right? First, I need you to stand up. Stand up. There we go. All right, now put your hands on your head. All right. Now, actually, you might want to step off the step for this next one. All right. Now turn around three times. One, two. All right. I've got to wait for your sister. One more time. There we go. All right. Now, one more. Can you recite the alphabet for me? The alphabet. Can you say the alphabet? All right, ready? One, two, three. A. (laughs) Both of you, both of you. All right, ready? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. All right, good. Great. Now you can have a seat. Now... You can find out what is inside, but no looking, okay? I want you to shut your eyes completely, all right, and hold out your hand, and I'll guide the bag to your hand, and when you do, you can pick something out of it, but just one thing, okay? All right, go ahead in, take one thing, all right, go ahead in, pick one thing, there you go, okay, open your eyes. That's not too bad. That's a good good surprise, is it? Okay. <laughs> Was it worth what it took to get it? Was it worth standing up and spinning around and saying the alphabet? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> well, you probably had to trust me a little bit. You had to trust that there was something good in there and that I'd give it to you at the right time. You had to believe that inside this plain paper bag, I had something worthwhile. Maybe it was worthwhile, maybe not. Well, sometimes we have to trust in God in similar ways. 
God might not give us lollipops and starburst, but God invites us to ask God for what we need and to trust in God to provide what we need. Our story this morning has to do with this idea. Jesus and his friends were walking down the road and a woman came up to him begging for help for her sick daughter. At first, Jesus seemed to just ignore her, which might strike us as strange, because didn't Jesus come to help people who needed God? Well, he then told her that he came to help the children of Israel, of which she was not. In fact, she was a Canaanite woman, which means she was from a different group of people than the Jews. Jesus told her that taking his time and attention away from the Jews would be like taking food from kids and feeding it to dogs. Well, this didn't stop the woman. She told Jesus that at least the dogs still got all the food that fell off the table. And if you're at my house, food falls off the table all the time. And the dog is very happy about that. Well, Jesus was impressed by her faith and her perseverance. Not only did she not give up, she truly believed in him and knew that he could do miracles. So he granted what she asked for and healed her daughter. Now, this story isn't necessarily about the woman or the girl or even the disciples. It's not about calling people dogs or being selective with who we might or might not want to help. This story reminds us that we can have faith and trust in God. Sometimes we might ask God for things and it might seem like God doesn't answer. Maybe we don't get what we ask for right away. Maybe we have to wait for things, and it might feel like we have to wait for a long time. Sometimes we might not get what we think we want at all, because God has something better in store for us. But we can put our faith and trust in knowing that God has our best interests at heart. God knows what we need and promises to provide it. We can trust that God loves us, cares for us, and will continue to give us all that we need. All we have to do is ask. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for providing what we need every day. Help us be patient even when you seem far away. Help us to trust in you always. Thank you for your love. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. illumination. Merciful Savior, your suffering has saved our lives, secured our future, and restored us to relationship with God. Remove the shame and fear that causes us to cower in your presence. By the power of your spirit, open our eyes and hearts to your word of love, mercy, healing, and blessing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Psalter lesson this morning is Psalm 130, a pilgrimage song. I cry out to you from the depths, Lord. My Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears pay close attention to my request for mercy. If you are kept track of sins, Lord, my Lord, who would stand a chance? But forgiveness is with you. That's why you are honored. I hope, Lord... My whole being hopes, and I wait for God's promise. My whole being waits for my Lord. More than the night watch waits for morning. Yes, more than the night watch waits for morning. Israel, wait for the Lord, because faithful love is with the Lord, because great redemption is with our God. He is the one who will redeem Israel from all its sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Listen for the word of God. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman came from that region. 
and came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. A word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us now rise in body or remain upright in spirit for hymn number 324. pre-existing condition called Canaanism. You are not one of us. You are not from here. We have enough trouble providing coverage and assistance to those who belong. Second, we have been informed that you have worshipped wrongly, perhaps if your parents had been better raised, but I digress. Third, your people have historically been at odds with our people. Your people are dirty. They are outside of God's attention. In short, your people do not matter. We suggest you seek coverage through a more appropriate insurer to your condition. Sincerely, John P. Smith, Agent, Holy Land Insurance. Every week, Elena reads my sermon. She's the best editor I've ever had. Um, and when I shared this sermon with her, she said, it's fine. That's a great endorsement. 
just would rather this story not be in Scripture. I wish they would just take it out and throw it away. Yeah. She was warned. Don't come near the Messiah with your dirty Canaanite body. She was given an explanation. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she persisted. Now this shouldn't be surprising to us in the least. How far would a mother go for the health and life of her child? She will stop at nothing. She will go to the ends of the earth and beyond, even when there is seemingly no possibility of finding healing for her daughter. Her great faith leads her on. Faith, it's one of those churchy words that get thrown around quite a bit. And I sometimes wonder if we really understand it. At the end of the story, Jesus tells her that her faith is, quote, great. But what does that mean? Does she just have an enormous amount of it? Perhaps hers is simply the determined faith of a mother in distress. Now this gets even more complicated when we look back through Matthew's narrative. Just two weeks ago, we heard Jesus seemingly chastise Peter for having little faith. Understanding or even explaining faith can be pretty confusing. We hear lots of different slogans and adages thrown around in church. Just persist in your faith. Just have faith. If you have the right faith status, you'll be fine. Keep the faith. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. But for now, let's take this big ball of confusion. Just put it over here. Just put it over here to the side. Because first, there are some other questions that we need to unpack. Because, let's face it, this is a troubling text when we get right down to it. Anytime I read this story, the question that jumps immediately to my mind is, what is Jesus thinking? This isn't the Jesus of the Beatitudes, not the mild-mannered Jesus knocking softly on the door, not even the Jesus who calmed the storms and quieted the seas. This Jesus seems to be something else. I've often wondered if he was simply in a bad mood. After all, in the text directly before this, he just had another run-in with the Pharisees who took offense at what he said again. Perhaps he's suffering a bit of tunnel vision, limiting his mission to first take care of the house of Israel, then everybody else later. Of course, there's even um, an even more unsettling possibility. Perhaps Jesus is giving in to prejudice and racism. He basically refers to this woman as a dog, a racial slur in the ancient world, used against people to denote their different skin color, ethnicity, and culture. In other words, the wrongness of her otherness. The modern equivalent would be the use of the N-word. It was that biting and offensive. Now I'm certain we're all beginning to feel a little uncomfortable right now. I am. We should be. These aren't traits we attribute to the Son of God. But we have to be willing to ask these questions, these kinds of deep, probing questions about the Jesus of this scripture lesson in order to come through to a deeper, fuller understanding of what God is doing here. So even in our discomfort, bear with me. At best, Jesus is simply uninterested in helping this woman. At worst, Jesus is submitting to social conventions of division and discord. In fact, Jesus seems to be modeling what he just said a few verses earlier. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. Now, most times this text is read and preached on, we try to whitewash it. 
by saying Jesus was merely testing her or the disciples to see how they would react. Now, this is possible. And honestly, it's the explanation that I would like to go with. However, there are no other places in the Gospels where Jesus teaches by testing in such a manner. This would be an outlier. And we should realize that when we gloss over or try to explain away this meeting, we miss an opportunity to witness a remarkable encounter that has the power to change all of the players. James Boyce, professor of New Testament and Greek at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, sets the scene for us. So stretch your imaginations to entertain the scene, he writes. Gathered in one corner are those familiar disciples, for Matthew, the true blue representatives of the faithful lost sheep of Israel, now leaping into the fray like so many ravenous beasts, as if they were self-styled guarantors of the holy tradition, on their guard lest the mercies of God be wasted on the unworthy. Like a gang of watchdogs at the door, they are about checking IDs and keeping out the non-pedigreed riffraff. On the other side of the gate stands this outsider, a woman no less, one lone representative of the dogs of religion, now become, as it were, a lost sheep, plaintively pleading for the mercy of the master shepherd. No English tradition can capture Matthew's careful orchestration of the painful choral refrain, Lord, have mercy, the dog's solo bleeding cry. Get rid of her, the lost sheep chorus barks back in reply. And Jesus replies, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He denies her. The Jesus we celebrate as the champion of the poor and the destitute this time sides with the majority. And we who thought we knew the gospel so well are left shaken and troubled. At its base, this is a story of reversals and contrasts. The disciples and the rest of the majority are contrasted against this lone woman, this outsider who has quite daringly entered the lion's den. Her great faith is contrasted with the little faith of the disciples, and she will not back down. She is a mother fighting for the health, the literal life of her daughter. She stands her ground. She does not waver. She takes Jesus' words referring to her as a dog and turns them on him. She reminds him that even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table and crumbs are all she is looking for. One of the first questions that emerge within this story is a difficult one. Can Jesus learn or change his mind? Well, sure, he's Jesus. He can do anything. But if we say yes, that challenges our picture of Jesus as perfect, complete, sinless, and we're immediately thrown into a theological controversy. Now, if we read this story traditionally, and Jesus is simply testing this woman and the disciples, then he doesn't change, and he knew the answer all along, Quite frankly, that is boring. And it simply doesn't challenge us where we need to be challenged. The other possibility is that Jesus' own sense of God's kingdom is challenged, stretched, and enhanced by his encounter with this fierce and faithful woman. Maybe Jesus really does believe he was sent only to the Israelites. And when this woman shows up, she persuades him that something much larger is at stake. She won't let him off that easy. She demands something, anything, even crumbs. Mothers of sick kids are like that. They won't let anything get in the way of their taking care of their child. 
not un unsympathetic doctors of health regulations or lousy insurance, not even a slightly narrow-minded messiah type. If we go with this, then yes, Jesus can learn, can change. And he begins to see that God's kingdom and his own mission are much bigger than he initially imagined. Now, does this mean he's not perfect or sinless? Three considerations. First, this is not the first time God has changed God's mind. Throughout the Old Testament, God repents, which is literally turns around. For example, in 2 Samuel 24, God sends a pestilence on Israel which kills 70,000 people. But when the angel is about to set on Jerusalem to destroy it, God relented concerning the evil and said to the angel who was bringing destruction among the people, it is enough, now stay your hand. Or when Moses convinces God not to destroy the Israelites in the wilderness when they turn to idolatry. You remember that story? And sometimes God's mind is changed in spite of what had been promised, as happens when God decides to spare the great city of Nineveh, much to the prophet Jonah's annoyance. Second, we have to remember that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. And as humans, we are imperfect. Raise your hand if you're imperfect. We're imperfect. Jesus can have human flaws without compromising the perfect divinity in him. But finally, this passage really isn't very interested in questions like those. Instead, we are invited in this passage to imagine that God's purpose unfolded throughout Jesus' life and ministry and continues to do so in our own lives and experiences. Which leads us to a second question, which might be just as unsettling as the first. Can we learn? Can we change? It's no secret that mainline denominations such as ours are getting smaller and growing older. Many of us wonder what went wrong and how we might entice young families and young adults to start coming to church. One pastor I came across while studying this scripture lesson notes that he always answers this conversation with a question. Have you asked any of the people you wish would come to church why they don't? Or, why do people go to other churches? Quite simply, what are we hearing in our communities? Or, are we even listening to our communities? See, in this occurrence, Jesus meets, dismisses, and then learns from a person. She isn't an inspired idea come out of the clouds. She isn't an idea he comes across while reading the morning paper. She isn't a group of people. She's an individual. A flesh and blood woman seeking faithfully for hope. And more importantly, a place at the table. There are a plethora of reasons why people don't come to church. At the heart, most people don't go because they don't feel or are afraid they will not feel welcome. Perhaps they've been judged in the past or made to feel like one of the dogs of religion. Perhaps they've heard something they simply can't comprehend or agree with and have not felt able to seek conversations that help them to understanding. Perhaps they've heard all are welcome but have been burned too many times in learning that all doesn't mean, always mean all. Whatever it is, we don't know until we ask. We don't know until we look at others as people. 
Because let's be honest, the big C church in America has been pretty comfortable with its place at the center of culture for the last 200 plus years. And that comfort has led the big C church to support things that are antithetical to the gospel. Like immigration policies that remain about maintaining the racial hygiene of this nation. Or the way we as a nation have treated black and brown bodies, signaling through our silences that it's okay to continue the legacy of violence against them. Our response, when it has not been utter silence, has been to call them dogs or worse, that they do not have a place here, that this is ours, not theirs. What's the miracle in this gospel lesson? Is it the healing of the daughter? A greater miracle happened that day. It was a miracle of grace. It was a miracle that the woman overcame Jesus' reluctance. The great gulf between Jew and Gentile was closed. The barriers of race and religion, like the Berlin Wall, were torn down that all would have room to sit at this table. It was also a miracle of faith. The focus is not upon the sick daughter who was healed. We don't even meet her in the story. But upon the mother and her persistent faith in Jesus. She was a lady who would not take no for an answer. Her insistence was based on her faith in Jesus and her love for her daughter. This is a miracle we are in desperate need of in our world today. We need look no further than our own American backyard to see how racism is quite literally tearing our world apart. We need a Messiah who is willing to grow and expand the scope of his mission. We need more women like this who are strong and persistent in their faith that God will listen and that healing can take place, that the table of Christ can grow to accommodate all of God's children. Which brings us back to that big ball of confusing faith we set aside a few minutes ago. This morning, we are invited to think about how our faith works in our lives. To think about our faith, where we are here and now. We're not asked to judge or measure our faith. That is pointless. Because faith is fluid, waxing and waning as the moon the Canaanite woman's story is not about what faith is, but what faith looks like in action. Her great faith is simply her holding on tightly to what she believes in the face of great adversity. How will we face this challenge? Will we be timid in the face of it? Or will we put our money where our mouth is and act in the way we dare to believe, putting our faith into action every single day? Our faith is a deeply personal thing, and these are deeply personal questions. Yet when we live out of our hearts, joined at this table, friends, the community flourishes. Will you please rise as we affirm our faith using the words in the bulletin? And I, I want to just first uh, draw your attention in the bulletin. There's a worship note that has been in the bulletin for the past few weeks um, that just shares just a bit about that this affirmation of faith contains excerpts from a brief statement of faith, one of our uh, PCUSA uh, confessions of faith, and it speaks to each of the three areas that the Matthew 25 initiative addresses, systemic poverty, structural racism, and congregational vitality. So let us affirm. 
We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father. In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image to live as one community. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the church. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And at this point, I would like to invite Lindsay to come forward for our minute for mission. You'll be sick of me by the end of the month. <laughs> Although Megan Reese is stepping in next week, so you'll get a break from me then. So I mentioned last Sunday that this month we're looking at how schools address food insecurity. And I highlighted a few of the events and activities that some of our local schools have organized. For our focus on hunger today, I'm going to present some information about the national programs that help make sure kids are receiving food each day at school and during the summer. The first two programs go hand in hand, the school lunch program and the school breakfast program. Those programs are federally assisted meal programs that aim to serve nutritionally balanced, low cost or free lunches to children each school day. The lunch program was started in 1946 and operates in over 100,000 public and nonprofit private schools and residential childcare institutions. That makes it the second largest food and nutrition assistance program in the country. In 2019, nearly 30 million children received lunch throughout or through these programs. The school breakfast program began as a pilot project in 1966, and it was made permanent in 1975. In 2019, nearly 15 million students participated in the program. Both of these programs are administered at the federal level by the Food and Nutrition Service. At the state level, the programs are usually administered by state education agencies. The third program is the after-school snack program. In 1998, Congress expanded the National School Lunch Program to, to include reimbursement for snacks served to children in after-school educational and enrichment programs. The intent is to use snacks as an incentive for children to participate in programs organized to provide after-school care that includes educational or enrichment activities. And in some areas, the goal is to help reduce or prevent children's involvement in crime or other high-risk behavior. The snack must meet certain criteria, such as specific portion size based on age, in order to be eligible for reimbursement. Some examples include orange juice and graham crackers with peanut butter, or apple juice and crackers with cheese. The fourth program is the Special Milk Program. It was developed in 1955 to increase the milk consumption by children in schools. The program reimburses schools and institutions for the milk they serve. The data is a little bit older, but in 2012, more than 4,500 schools participated in the program which sounds a little bit less than we were mentioning for the other programs, but that's because the national school lunch and breakfast programs, that, they include milk. So this is more of a supplementary program. The fifth is the fresh fruit and vegetable program. When the Farm Bill Law passed in 2008, the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program was created. This is a federally assisted program providing fresh fruits, and vegetables free to children at eligible elementary schools during the day. The goal is to introduce kids to fresh fruits and vegetables and include new and different varieties to increase their overall acceptance and consumption of fresh, unprocessed produce. 
and it encourages healthier school environments by promoting nutrition education. It's also an important tool in efforts to combat, combat childhood obesity. And to clarify, the food from this program is designed to serve, be served separately from the breakfast and lunch programs. It can't be served as a component of one of those meals. The last program is known as the Summer Meals Program, or Summer Food Service Program. It was established in 1975 to ensure that children continue to receive nutritious, nutritious meals when school is not in session. When school is out, the program provides free meals to kids and teens in low-income areas. There are three main players in this program. Uh, first, the state agency that administers the program and communicates with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The second is the sponsor or the organization that runs the program. A sponsor could be a school, it could be a camp, a faith-based or other nonprofit community organization that has the ability to manage a food service program. And then the third player is the site, the location where the food will be distributed in a safe and supervised environment. Sites may be located in a variety of settings, including schools, parks, clinics, apartment complexes, and churches. Research has indicated that the most successful programs are the ones that also provide fun activities for kids, and they can keep them coming back and keep them physically and mentally active. Now, all of these programs I just mentioned um, are ones that we see here in some of our local schools. Things have changed, obviously, since COVID. And in 2020, the USDA uh, began reimbursing schools and child care centers for free meals to all students, regardless of their income. And in April of this year, they just announced that that policy will be extended to cover the 2021 to 2022 school year. Thank you. been nourished by the bread of heaven and the living waters of salvation, let us return thanks to God as we offer up this morning's offering. Let us pray. Bountiful God, in praise and thanksgiving for your many blessings, receive our tithes and offerings that they may be for the world signs of the bread of heaven and the fullness of your grace. For we came here hungry for your spirit, and you fed us with food that satisfies. We came here thirsting for your grace, and you revived us in our grace. In humble thanks, we thank you. Amen. going to the beach. That's where they are right now, getting ready to go. They're packing. Um, but uh, we, I will be away um, tomorrow through Tuesday, August 17th. I will be back in the office on August 18th. Um, if there is a need, a pastoral care need, uh, please get in touch with uh, the deacon on call. I will miss you, um, but when my toes are in the sand, I can't promise I'll be thinking about you always. <laughs> Here are prayers for ourselves, for those who feel enlivened by worship, those who feel very little, those who feel dread or anxiety or worry, those who feel hope or peace or love. Bring a sharing of burdens and a sharing of joys. Bring real relationship between us and hear us as we pray with one voice as you have taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us rise as we are able for our final hymn. and imitate the Holy One in all you do. Live with love, speak with kindness, touch with gentleness, walk with humbleness, and build up the kingdom of God. Go forth into the world and live in love as Christ has lived in and through you, reminding you who you are and whose you are. Amen.